Hi, welcome to the Frequency IoT Podcast. This is Stephen, and I'm joined by Brian. I believe you're out in Iowa today, correct? Yes, this is Brian Huey. I'm based in Studio 515 in Des Moines, Iowa. Thank well, you, I know, I know. Hopefully, we've all had a good chance to take a take at least a couple of days to unwind and uh, probably release a little bit from the everyday world that you and I see, Brian. But uh, I'm curious what sort of things you've bumped into over the last uh, couple of days. Yeah, so the the last couple of days, I've been just trying to close out some stuff um, uh, related to work. Um, without going too deep into it, uh, prepping for CES, although I'm not going to be at CES, but there are others that are kind of counting on you and I to get our ducks in a row for uh, uh, for coordinating some meetings out there. Um, and then um, other than that, it's been more personal IoT stuff. I picked up uh, the latest edition of Magpie. I'm a big Raspberry Pi fan, so I've been thinking about new projects into the into uh, 2019, and uh, I've already started one, I'm building my own um, uh, NAS server at home, you know, just so I can remotely store files um, uh, on one of my Raspberry Pis and, you know, access it through mobile phone and stuff like that. I think it's just really important just to dive deep into that kind of stuff to understand how it works, or at least that's that's... That's my personal credo. And then the other thing, um, I think my son and I are going to start building a uh, a Raspberry Pi arcade, you know, an actual console that we're going to stand up in the basement. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. But other than that, it's just been catching up on some industry reports, uh, reading um, uh, the implications of 5G, which we're going to talk about today, and um, um, just kind of decompressing a bit. How about you, Steve? Well, you know, I've been thinking a lot about that trip I took to the Ray, right? So there's a lot of cool ideas I've got and things that I hope to, we can, you know, six months from now, talk a little bit more about new projects that they're doing there. But um, a lot of times we talk, you know, in this IoT space, we talk about, you know, how devices, you know, connect and how they they gather information. But last week I, I sat down with a, a company and we were talking a little bit about how do you use this data, right? Because everyone's gathering some sort of data, right? We talk a lot about the things in home, right? Obviously Amazon echoes and all these things are collecting data and monetizing it pretty easily. Right? So I was actually speaking with a company that, um, uses a sensor based solution to, uh, measure and control traffic management. And they've got a lot of very useful data, right? And obviously in a smart cities environment, right? They're using it to, automate signals, make things flow easier. There's a lot of stuff that, you know, obviously that data is immediately used for, but the discussion we were having is, well, what else is this data good for? Right. Right. Because you're sitting on all this information. How can you reuse it? You know, so we started talking about different options, you know, one of them being, you know, a tie into one of the, the oldest, you know, IOT MDM type plays that's out there, which would be telematics. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, most telematics providers rely pretty heavily on Google and NREX and some other things like that as far as routing algorithms. But, you know, what if you're collecting data from these guys that have sensor networks and traffic networks that are out there and you're getting real time data or historical data, right? And you're able to tie that back into algorithms, right? What if you know that this intersection that is along one of the routes, right? 
that, you know, 60% of, you know, 60 to 90% of the class eight traffic, for example, was always headed in one direction, right? It might change the way that you want to route through that intersection if you're also a class eight vehicle. So it was just very interesting to kind of have a discussion on, well, you know, outside of just the general, what do these things do and what first, you know, what's the first problem they solve? It's okay. I'll also have all this data, right? And I think more and more companies are going to try to hopefully start figuring out, Hey, I've got this. How can we use it for the better good? And certainly from a company standpoint, when you're sitting on that much data, how can I monetize it? Right. So, Especially yeah. Or anonymize yeah. it. Let me ask you a question. So, um, with, with the Ray, you know, um, how are they building communications into this, uh, you know, 20 mile or 18 mile stretch of highway? Are, are they running it with, uh, do they have fiber up and down the, uh, highway? Are they doing licensed technologies, wire, wireless license or unlicensed? Do they, do they have a vision or is, is it more technology agnostic and bring your own solution? Right now it's agnostic, right? So I've seen other um, other test beds that have very specific, you know, we're going to start out fiber, then we're going to go, you know, unlicensed spectrum, then we're going to do, you know, some sort of carrier type connection, you know. Right now, um, you know, so much of what was down at the Ray is based off of the carbon neutral piece, right? So you've got the pollinator gardens and bioswells and, things that are trying to make the environment, but, you know, they haven't tied some of the, the next level stuff in that will need more connectivity just because of the restrictions uh, that the DOTs placed on. So hmm. that's what I was saying in six months from now, you know, if they can get some, some opportunity to um, do some things that the DOT allows, I think you'll see a lot more, from a connectivity standpoint and data collection standpoint, a lot of what's being done right now is just the things that they could do um, without the DOT um, having to rewrite a lot of stuff. So, but, uh, so yeah, it, certainly they're tying in things like platooning, right? So that that isn't necessarily going to help the the neutral footprint quite as much, but it's a technology test bed, right? So, mm -hmm. so it, you know, one thing I've been thinking about over the break has been smart cities quite a bit. And when you think, uh, you know, when you talk to people that are involved in the smart city community and very similar to, to the array, there is a, um, at least with the municipal owners of smart cities, and maybe our guests can jump in and comment. We, you know, we have to introduce our guests, Steve. Um, but there is a perception within the municipal owners of the smart city that the data should be free and published to the public, right? So in order to participate in the smart city ecosystem, your sensor or device, um, um, you know, uh, captures its data, uh, derives value from its own platform, but then publishes that data into um, the city's platform and the city uh, typically uh, has had this perspective that that data should be free and open for others to create new applications and monetize. And um, I'm wondering, has the Ray evolved their thinking? You know, are they thinking along the same lines as that or is it, um, uh, you know, are they approaching it just in a totally different way? 
I think they're, I think they're right now kind of the mercy of what the DOT will let them do first. So, um, I think they're open to almost anything. Um, and I think they've got a lot of cool stuff that they're, they're planning to do, but you know, certainly a municipality, right. Or small city has a lot more leeway to do stuff on a public road or, on light poles, anything like that, right? Because typically they might own them or at least have a very good relationship with who they're doing that from. When you when you start getting at the federal level, it certainly gets a lot more difficult. Hmm. Okay, good. So uh, why don't we introduce our guest here? Yeah, go right ahead, Brian. Yeah, so I'm joined, uh, Steve and I are joined with James Bram. He is uh, he's a l- practicing leader of Bram Associates. James, you want to go ahead and give an introduction as to who you are? And I know many of us know you in the IoT circle. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourselves, your uh, your practice, and sure. what you what you've seen in 2018? You got it. So. Um, again, I'm James Bram. I am a founder and uh, chief technology evangelist, I like to call myself, because I talk a lot about what, what I see in, in IoT of James Bram and Associates. Um, we are a, a boutique market research and consulting firm um, founded five years ago, specifically focused on IoT. But if I had to describe our, our brand differentiator, how we really differentiate ourselves, uh, we really provide strategy acceleration services and help our clients develop and execute their strategies and accelerate and, uh, and remove the friction from their growth, you know, and help them move faster from point A to point B. Um, we work with all different types of companies from uh, carriers and hardware equipment uh, vendors in the IoT space to uh, insurance companies and large tier one brands that are trying to deploy IoT services as well, and everybody in between. So from startup to Fortune 5, um, from carrier to hardware manufacturer to even investment bank or private equity firm uh, playing in the space. Great. So let me – so, James, you know, you and I have known each other for – Several years, I think we've seen we've seen each other at the different trade shows, IoT Evolution, um, and uh, some of the ancillary uh, related shows. So, you know, what are your thoughts about um, projects similar to the Ray, or you know, where they're trying to create a smart cities corridor? Are you starting to um, are you starting to receive projects similar to what the Ray is descri- um, designing? You know, this smart innovation hub, or um, I was just wondering, you know, how how you perceive projects like this uh, um, taking flight, and how IoT is um, is going to be enabling uh, successful projects like this. Yes, so I like to think of myself as a pragmatist, our mm-hmm. chief pragmatist, and 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 I go into this thinking. Um, I think it was a few years ago. I I, I wrote a a piece, and and and, and uh, it was right before. Well, I think it was IoT World, Brian, and you were on a panel that I that I moderated on smart cities, and and I I made a statement that I don't think there's anything such as a smart city out there, and there won't be for a long time. We're going to have a bunch of smart silos, and a lot yeah. of these projects that we're, that we're seeing are silos siloed projects, but we are seeing those siloed projects move 
uh, further along the continuum from science experiment to to um, test bed and from test bed to to actual full deployments. Um, uh, there's not a lot of similarities um, other than than governmental ownership of different things from smart water to connected vehicles. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, there's just yeah. not a lot of similarities out there. The the one similarity that, and you guys kind of narrowed it right in on it, is data ownership. And that is, I would say, today's biggest challenge in IoT is who owns it, who's responsible for it, who needs to protect it, um, and is it free and open, or does that leave us... Um, I guess loosey goosey for abuse and and uh, hoarding and and improper usage of data. Mm. Yeah, that's that's, that's, that's what I, that's truly one of the things I'm scared about right now is we don't have any hard and fast rules. Um, I talked to one a tier one automobile manufacturer, and I talked to three different executives, C level executives within that within that firm, and I got four different answers on data ownership and whose data it was. Yeah, um, yeah. From the, the the owner of the vehicle to to the car company themselves to um, their partners who are the the carriers in you know that are carrying the data. So. That's true. So like uh, you know if you have a smart connected vehicle um, that has some kind of IoT connection, usually you're prompted um, every thirty days or within every. Um, some time period to accept terms and conditions um, because they're collecting vehicle diagnostics, right? And so that gets to the point of who owns that data. But then extrapolating that out to smart cities and uh, the array, let's say there's a Tier 1 automotive manufacturer that's collecting vehicle speed data. How is that exposed to the array? How much do you, or the array, how much do you expose? Is it real time? Is it not real time? Who's paying for that, right? Who's paying for that, the, the telemetry. So yeah, it's a, it's an interesting topic. And, you know, it's funny that you bring that up, James. Um, You've got uh, a memory like a steel trap. I do remember you saying that <laughs> there is no smart city. Well, I think one yeah. thing surrounding yeah. that, um, James, is that when you look at a municipality, whether it's a large, you know, a large city or even a small city, right? Going beyond test bed with some of the things that are out there today, right? You've got to almost show what's in it for the average person that lives there, right? So even if it's something simple like we're going to put in a smart parking solution for a parking garage or or something like that, right? Sometimes and those aren't super expensive in the scale of some of the other things that you can do in a smart disease environment. But, you know, a, a lot of times when you're spending municipality money, right, you've got to show what everyone's getting out of it and if it's worth it, right? Because there's always a, a microscope when you've got city money or town money being spent, right? Yeah, or public sector money, right? I mean, this, yeah. is, this is the whole private versus public. Yeah, the, ta- the, taxpayer, know, the, taxpayer the average money. taxpayer may not find a whole lot of use in a smart parking solution, for example, right? It, it, it was funny. It was funny. A few years ago, um, the uh, the former mayor of Atlanta, Kasim Reed, spoke at, at one of AT&T's developer conferences, and they asked him the question, how come he was getting so involved with smart city initiatives? And he said it's because 
my constituents want a smarter city. Mm-hmm. But you know what? If they want potholes filled, I'm going I'm to divert that money from having a smart city to having smooth streets if it's going to get me reelected. So that's the other thing we have to look at here is what are the reasons behind a lot of these, the, the things that these guys are doing. And, um, and unfortunately, if you divert, if, if you have a, a vision of I'm going to have a smart city, that's not something that's going to change overnight for these guys. Mm-hmm. They're, they're going to have to, they're going to have to go long. It's a, it's, 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 it's a very drawn out time frame, and you can't just, um, you know, have the strategy that's going to be a smart city, and then and then decide um, six months later that I'm going to invest in something else, because yeah. you won't ever get to the you won't ever get to smart city nirvana that way. Yeah, it sounds like you know on one of those famous bell curves from an unnamed practice uh, consulting practice out there. It sounds like we're in the <laughs> uh, the hype cycle, right? The was it the ideation or the very beginning of the curve, and we haven't at least in smart cities we haven't uh, hit or we haven't even crossed the peak of the trail of disillusionment, right? We're just yeah. not even yeah. there yet. <laughs> you know, everybody's putting projects together. But uh, hey, James, how about we pivot a bit? Can you, you know, you kind of touched on 2018, um, and some questions that you got from the tier one auto manufacturers or answers as to who owns that data. What were some of the other key topics out of uh, IoT that uh, that um, uh, your firm was taking a look at in 2018, and how do you see those shifting into 2019 with 5G deployments? Oh, you just you just said a mouthful there. You said five. Yeah, years. I know. That's so, about so, two yeah. hours. <laughs> yeah, so, so that's that that was that's probably the biggest question we had this year was um do I need to wait for five G? Do I need what what do I need to do in order to, to continue down the path? Um and what is five G gonna gonna mean to me? I mean that that truly yeah. that's the I it's not that. just yeah. it's not just auto auto guys. Yeah. Anybody that's in the space from an oil company to an auto, automobile manufacturer to carriers to cable MSOs that are, yeah. that have city infrastructure. I you know, completely to agree. Street light companies. To, it's everybody's asking that question of, you know, um, about 5G. Um, and, and early on on the call, I heard you guys talking and, and you said, said a couple of things. You said data monetization, data anonymization, right? And, and, uh, and, and those are two of the big questions that are subsets of if we get the network right, right, then how do we get the business models right? And, uh, who owns it? Is it anonymized? Is it not anonymized? You know, it has more value to being monetized if it's not anonymized. Um, and, and who owns it? Who gets that money from it as well? Well, we spoke early on about, and we also spoke kind of, how these smart city deployments, you know, to tie them together have certainly been taking quite some time to go from silos to actual cities, right? And I don't think necessarily that 5G is going to help that time frame at all because I think all of us on the call probably lived from 3G to 4G migrations, right? Um, 4G to 5G is going to take a whole lot longer. So um, relying on, you know, or waiting per se on 5G technologies to release for a lot of these things are certainly going to push, you know, a lot of these solutions a little bit further out. So, and in, 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 in you didn't even mention 2G. We still got to 
a hell of a lot of the stuff, especially in the city, is still on on 2G. Um, and, and we haven't migrated 2G up to 3G or 4G or to 5G, right? So we got this. And then the other, um, I guess I'll call it uh, uh, thing in the back of the closet is the, the advent and the growth of low-power wide area networks, um, especially uh, in from municipalities and, and, and in campus environments, um, things that are not using cellular, such as LoRaWAN or Ingenue or SigFox and, and uh, on the low end. And then how do those things play across once we see this ubiquitous 5G world in the future? No, I, no, absolutely. I think that, you know, there are parts of those types of solutions that heavily will rely on 5G, right? Autonomous vehicles, V to X communications, those types of things need that type of network today. But certainly there's things out there today that can take advantage of narrowband and other types of technologies. Um, and then, you know, how do you tie those all together, right? You've got different radio access networks and different different providers, right? There's not one provider that will solve an entire smart city platform. So, right, you know, when we talk about data, now you've got this municipality that has all this data coming from five or six different directions, right? How do, how do they then make use of it, right? I think that's another challenge as the smart city technologies, whether it be lighting, parking, you know, any other type of thing, air quality sensors, it can be almost anything, right? How do you take all these data points and make, make sense of them if you're, if you're a city, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so one, of the, one of the key benefits of 5G is that it makes IoT more seamless because it's deployed across a wider array of spectrum bands, right? From low all the way to high. Um, it is not just, and I hope we don't short ourselves as an industry and, and take the easy way out. I, I call it the Verizon way out and think of 5G as just faster. Because yeah, historically that, 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 that's, that's yeah. been one of those things that, that, that right. it's easy to market the next G as being the faster G because it just, you know, logically to the consumer, it, you think that way. Right. But, you know, the other benefit of 5G or one of the other benefits is low latency, right? Low That's latency right. Yeah. and small bits of bandwidth could be a game changer for for different applications such as uh, patient monitoring. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, so there's low latency. So you, <clears throat> you go from a few, um, like... 50 milliseconds, sub 50 milliseconds to one millisecond, right? Which yeah. is spec yeah. in the standard. And, um, and then your connection density goes from, you know, uh, when it, perhaps a hundred thousand, uh, per square mile, you know, depending on how your networks configurate, configurated up to a million. So it's really not, not just speed, it's, it's jitter, you know, it is the latency that, that is being offered to that application. It's the mobility speed. So the, the other thing that we haven't really talked about is, uh, how fast the UE or the end terminal yeah. can move, right? In 4G, in a 4G world, it's, it's, um, around, uh, was it about 200 miles per hour or 350 kilometers per hour? 5G up to 500. Well, you know, so what can we do with those kinds of speeds? You know, it, it almost kind of makes you wonder if we're going to 
if uh, we'll see 5G expand into not just terrestrial applications, but, uh, um, you know, aerial applications. So, you know, there's quite a bit. I mean, just to take 5G and bring it down to speed and competing with Comcast and the cable companies is just a big disservice, at least to the uh, applications that and questions that I get from partners and customers that I work with. I, th- I think you're right. And, and the other the other aspect of it is it goes across all the different bands, so you'll have better in-building penetration, mm-hmm. maybe even underground penetration with it. Uh, you, you talked about the, the, the nature of it uh, perhaps being uh, more than terrestrial, right? I, I, I believe that we will see that, um, and I, I think that you'll see it bind a lot of what have been um, disparate technologies together into, into a cohesive view. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Once we do that, I mean, that, that, then you see the exponential. That, that's when, right, um, I, I said it once uh, before, I said, more, you know, with IoT, Moore's Law, that, that cast law, and they kind of, you know, they fell in love. Well, 5G is going to turn that cast law on its head, right? The value of the number of endpoints that are connected yeah. and, and how they're being connected is yeah. just going to... Yeah, it would be exponentially so much more valuable. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, Metcalf's law will still hold. I think, it, you know, what we'll see is is uh, similar to the numbers that, uh, that Steve and I see as to how much data is being transported on a carrier's network on a monthly basis. Uh, that will continue an exponential growth curve year over year. Yeah, yeah it, keeps, it keeps going up. I just I yeah. just had breakfast with with one of my... Um, customers who who does a smart metering, and yeah. and he said he said you know I'd love to see that and I've I've got about five years worth of data that I've gotten from MVNOs and carriers yeah. where I can go back and, and plot on a quarterly basis you know how many connections they had how much bandwidth they're pushing across and how many customers there truly were and I think I want to do that I want to think I want to take a look at that because I bet you that's where we'll see a hockey stick. Right, maybe not in the adoption itself, but in if you tie adoption and bandwidth and messaging and different things like that all together, I bet we see a, a heck of a hockey stick right now. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Yeah, it'd be interesting to to plot that. But uh, I think you know, extrapolating your comments and just putting a bow tie on this is. Uh, you know the net the net result of the carriers as well as any any um, um, uh, service organization involved with cloud hosting is expect massive growth. Yeah. <laughs> you know from a data storage and analytics perspective, and any new graduates that are graduating high school or you know, considering college, data analytics that's your ticket to a six figure salary. <laughs> you got a nephew. Yeah. I got a nephew right now that's uh, yeah. that's uh, in his second year at the University of Alabama, and guess what? He he just decided he's he's going analytics. Yeah. So. yeah. Right, okay. So I'm going to date myself a bit. So when I was uh, getting out of high school and considering different things, you know, the hot field was either Top Gun, you know, being a pilot, or junk bonds. Right? <laughs> junk bonds are all in the news now. It's data analytics, except for with junk bonds. Um, 
You know, there was a, a bit of a bust in the market, but uh, data analytics, I, I really don't see um, a, a wave of uh, disillusionment, disillusionment coming until uh, deep Actually, learning. I think, we, I think we had it. I think we had it last week, right, yeah. <laughs> or last month with GE. So, so maybe, maybe that was our dip or disillusionment and how much money you can put into something. And, yeah. uh, and and not get much value out of it. So that's true. We can move on from that. So yeah, we can. Moving on. <laughs> well, it sounds like we all agree. 2019 will be an interesting year as you start to see true 5G networks come to life, where um, people beyond the carriers can actually do something with them. Right? Everyone starts to say, "Hey, you know, where do these solutions start to play together? How does this work? You know, what is this?" new near zero latency capable of truly doing right and uh, certainly we'll we'll continue to talk about everything that we see on this podcast and hopefully share some good insights um, on you know how the new technologies are going to help really shape iot right so a lot of 2018 has been around narrowband right and i think it's going to stay there i think there's going to be a lot of cool evolution built there but Next year, we'll really start to see how 5G starts to shape IoT, um, and hopefully, there'll be lots of uh, opportunities for everyone to work together to, you know, kind of figure this stuff out. But um, any last thoughts, Brian, um, for our last podcast of this year? Uh, no, I think we should continue. Well, I guess the last thought I have is I think we should continue with the 5G theme. I think um, there's quite a bit here that we need to talk about. I'm sure once CES is uh, over, there'll be lots of new topics that you and I can catch up on. So Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think they're going to rename CES the 5G world. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's going to be a little bit crazy out there with that top, topic. So I think you guys have a lot to talk about on there. Yeah, that's definitely always a, a fairly busy and crazy event. But uh, on behalf of Brian and I, thanks for everyone that tuned in in 2018. We look forward to 2019 and continuing to share what we see and uh, hopefully stimulate some, some good thought and activity around the IoT space. Thanks, and uh, look forward to the new year for everyone. Thank you much, everyone. Thanks, James. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah.